Well, we're so glad that you're here today. Again, for uh, those of you who came in late, um, happy Mother's Day, moms. We're so thankful and glad for you. So thankful for all of our moms and those of you who are moms-to-be and those of you who are serving as moms. Um, we're so glad uh, that you are here today. Um, I, my name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm the lead pastor here. This is my wife, Cynthia. And um, Cynthia and I, um, I've asked her to help me this morning since it's Mother's Day. We thought it'd be a good idea to kind of team I'm teach. here for the fact-checking. You're yes. what now? I'm the fact-checker. Fact-checker, not, not fat-checker. fat Okay, I thought we were going down a whole different road there for a second. Um, she is the fact checker today. So um, Cynthia and I have been married for 18 years next month. And um, thank you. And um, we, have a, we have Sydney, who is our oldest, and uh, she is turning nine next month. And then we have Sean, who is six years old. And uh, you've probably seen both of them running around a little bit, especially Sean, who has a lot of energy. And um, it's just so, like his mother. He's just like mom. That is so true, isn't it? If you know Sean, he's just like Cynthia. We have this little thing going on in our house right now, um, and it kind of centers around the, the whole idea of who's in charge. And um, it's interesting because Cynthia and I will walk out of the house for a minute, you know, we'll go out and walk in my nicely manicured lawn that I've been spending a lot of time on lately, and we'll look at the lawn. This is we'll, true. Yeah, we'll I'm, look at the yard. Thank I'm, you, dear. I'm checking facts. That's true. That, that's a good fact yes. check. Okay, great. So um, we, um, we walk outside to do that, or we might walk around. We live on a cul-de-sac. We might walk just around the cul-de-sac and come right back. I mean, we're only gone for like a, you know, a couple minutes, maybe three or four minutes at the most, and every time we leave, we'll say, hey, kids, um, we're leaving. We're just going to come right back. You know, we're just walking outside or whatever. Sydney goes, so does that mean I'm in charge? This is the almost nine-year-old girl, by the way, who says, am I in charge? And we kind of look at her and go, yeah, you're in charge. That's fine. And we shut the door behind us and we go, who really is in charge? Sean. And it's Sean. It's definitely the boy. He is definitely in charge. No doubt about it. We ask that question a lot. Who's in charge? We ask it to ourselves. Who's in charge with each other a lot? We are both eldest, okay? So there's a lot of who's in charge in this moment right now between us. But I think we ask that question a lot just in the normal course of life. I know in some of my conversation with many of you, um, you all ask that question. It may not be in that form. It might not be that direct. But essentially, if you're coming in and you have a question about God or about something that's going on in your relationship with God or your relationship with others, often it boils down to who's in charge, who is in charge. And we ask that question a lot. And when we ask it, and it relates to God, when it has to do with our relationship with God, the word that we use or the phrase that we use is God's sovereignty. And I realize that's a big word. That's a big phrase for many of you. And there are all kind of different um, reactions, emotions, when you hear that phrase. In fact, some of you are kind of like, um, man, I've been a Christian for a long time. I, I, I have somewhat of an understanding of what God's sovereignty is and what it means. Some of you completely don't understand it, and that's okay. Um, some of you are kind of like, man, I, I, I don't even know what that means. We're kind of going to kind of get to that today. Um, some of you may have a little bit of a foggy understanding of it, but there's one thing I guarantee in this whole room um, is, is that not one of us can say, I totally understand God's sovereignty. You can't totally understand God's sovereignty. 
our minds are limited and sometimes we can't understand it. So to define it, let's do this because God's word has a lot to say about it. So let's define it. God's sovereignty means that God has the absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure, which means he is in charge. It means that he has the absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Now, we, we may have a, a difficult under, understanding that. We have a difficult time kind of comprehending what that means. And with all the things that are going on in the world, maybe some of us are even disappointed that that's the case. So let's look to God's word and take a look at what his word says about this whole idea of God's sovereignty. Or if you want to insert there, who's in charge? Take a look at what God's word says. There are hundreds of verses on this, but we're going to take a look at three this morning. First of all, the psalmist in Psalm 115 says this, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Take a look at Proverbs. Solomon writes this from Proverbs 21, verse 1. I love this one. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whenever he will, wherever he will. And then this last one that I want to focus on this morning, Proverbs 16, 9. Again, Solomon says this, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I want to say that one again. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So once again, that definition, God's sovereignty means that God has the absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Let's boil that down into three areas this morning. We're not going to study this necessarily, but these are three points that kind of break that down a little bit. Number one, God has the absolute right to do what he thinks is best. Who's in charge? God's in charge. He has the absolute right to do what he thinks is best. Secondly, God will do whatever he needs to do to fulfill his plans. He has a plan. He has a plan for human history. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for us. Moms, he has a plan for your children, even though sometimes you may not be able to see that. And then thirdly, God will do whatever he needs to do to keep his promises. Now, that's the macro view of God's sovereignty. That's kind of like from a 40,000-foot view, what is God's sovereignty? And my guess is, is that most of you who are in this room um, who call yourselves Christ followers, um, you probably agree with that. You're probably like, I get that. I understand that. That's what God's sovereignty is in the course of human history. But you know what's difficult? What's difficult is to explain that in our own personal lives. Let's just be honest. It's very difficult to explain God's sovereignty in our own personal lives. Not when things are going well. When they're going well, it's easy to explain God's sovereignty. Like, God gave me that. God gifted me with this. God gave me her. God gave me them. It's easy to understand God's sovereignty in our own personal lives when things are going well. The difficulty is understanding God's sovereignty when we see things happen to us and to the world around us that makes no sense at all. We have two worlds that collide a lot, at least in our lives as parents, and that is, um, first, our own interpretation of things that happen, like just the way that we view it, and the second part of that is how do you communicate that to your kids? Mm. Um, I, I probably struggle with that 
more than anything as a parent of just trying to take it all in and, and then figure out how to communicate with them. Um, and then I know we're not the only parents that probably feel that way. Um, the sense of wanting what is best for our kids also can sometimes overshadow all over emotion. Okay, how many of you, you've just told a bold-faced lie to your kids? I mean, you know you did. It's just because you wanted to be nice. Oh, come on. I'm not the only one in here. Come on. You, just, you know it's not true. I mean, I tell Sean, don't drink my coffee. It'll, it'll stunt your growth, and you don't need any help in that area. You know, I mean, things like that, okay? <laughs> We're all, ver- our whole family's vertically challenged. There's another reason he shouldn't be drinking coffee, I know, okay? but still. Like, you know, we say things sometimes because why? We, I mean, even in our funniness or whatever, we really truly want what's best for our kids. And so you know, that emotion and that drive and that desire sometimes, you know, drives us over even telling the truth, you know, or whatever, because we do want what's best for our kids. This is a natural desire. But then when it comes to their plan and your plan and God's plan for their life, um, we have to face it that sometimes what our desires are for our kids may not line up with what God's mm. desire is for them. And I, I know that's hard to get your mind around a little bit, and, um, but it's the truth. The truth is God knows what's best. We don't. And even though we're their parents, sometimes those desires don't line up with um, what may be actually be best for them. Um, there's specific references in Scripture to moms uh, who struggle with different things like infertility, uh, fear of the fate of their kids, and those who just flat out wrestle with God over their desire versus God's plan. I mean, just a true struggle. I want to focus on one woman in particular in the Old Testament. Uh, we know her as Sarah. Her original name is Sarai, and that actually means princess. And um, we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 18 with her. Um, at this time, she is far past the age of having children. We'll be polite. She was in her golden years, okay? And, uh, but God had told her that her and her husband, Abraham, were going to have a child. And uh, we pick up the story in Genesis 18, 9, where God, he's already told them this is going to happen, but they're not really buying it. So he's going to, like, I'm going to have to send somebody. So he sends himself, theologians say, and two um, angelic beings to Abraham's tent. Knock, knock, knock. We're here to tell you this again because this is really going to happen. So this is where we pick up the story in verse 9. Um, one of the men asked, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she's in the tent. And one of them said, well, I'm coming back this time next year. When I arrive, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent opening just behind the man. No comment, eavesdropper. He already made the comment, the first reference of eavesdropping in Scripture, right there. To I think I made so. the comment was the first reference to women eavesdropping. Well, okay, well, anyway. I was going to be nice. And, and I got in trouble for that, okay. but anyway, anyway, let's be honest. Moving on, okay. <laughs> so she's listening, right? Abraham and Sarah were old by this time. I love this version, very old. Um, Sarah was far past the age for having babies, and she laughed within herself. An old woman like me get pregnant, my favorite part. This old man of a husband. (laughs) Love that. I would have been friends with Sarah. God said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying me have a baby, an old woman like me? And then he he says this, is there anything too hard for God? I'll be back about this time next year and Sarah will have a baby. Um, She may have laughed and uh, thought that this whole thing was crazy. But she did have faith that she could conceive and give birth at her age because, I want you to read between the lines here, okay? She was willing to do what was needed to have a child at her age, okay? And she did have a baby, and they named him Isaac, which ironically means laughter. (laughs) As the story goes on, um, I want to pick the story up from the point where many of us have a lot of questions about 
You see, Abraham is asked by God to do something to this son that Cynthia just read about named Isaac that quite honestly um, probably confounds many of us. Why would God ask someone to do this to his son? So I want to pick up now, but before we read, I want to point this out, that at this point in time, by the time that Isaac came around and by the time we read what happens here, um, Abraham is probably over 100 years old. And his son, Isaac, we have this picture in our minds that he was maybe a child, maybe a toddler, or maybe even a young elementary student. Um, But in reality, most theologians believe that Isaac was probably an older child and possibly even a young teenager. And so the idea here is is that in this instance that we're about ready to read, um, Isaac, Abraham's son that Cynthia just read about, um, could probably have overpowered his father if he really wanted to, and if he really had needed to. Let's take a look at Genesis 22, verse 1. And again, this is from the message version of Genesis 22. After all of this, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, and Abraham said, yes, I'm listening. He said in verse 2, take your dear son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. Abraham got up early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, he took two of his young servants and his son Isaac. He had split the wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had directed him. On the third day, he looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Abraham told his two young servants, stay here with the donkey, the boy and I are going over there to worship And then Abraham says this to the servants, then we will come back to you. Now I want to pause here in the story. I don't know if you realized it, but Abraham in speaking to his two servants and saying, we're going to go worship and we will come back to you, it reveals how much Abraham trusted God. Because he tells his servants, Isaac and I are going to go over to that mountain knowing what God told him, but he still says, we, meaning he and Isaac, will come back to you. You see, I believe all along, Abraham knew that God would provide, that there'd be some way that God would come through. And I think that shows just the extent to which Abraham and Sarah understood God's sovereignty. They understood this idea that God is in control. Let's keep reading verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He gave it to Isaac, his son, to carry. Can you imagine Isaac at this point in time? Like, I'm carrying this wood. This is great. He carried the flint and the knife. The two of them went off together. Isaac, verse 7, said to Abraham, his father, Father, yes, my son, we have flint, we have wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham said, son, God will see to it. I want you to remember those words. God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering. And they kept on walking together. They arrived at the place to which God had directed them. Abraham built an altar right there. He built an altar. He laid out the wood. Then he tied up Isaac. And we don't read that Isaac tried to overpower Abraham or tried to get out of it. And he laid him on the wood. Abraham reached out and took the knife to kill his son Just then an angel of God called to him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, I'm listening. Do not lay a hand on the boy. 
Don't touch him. Now, I know how fearlessly you fear God. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Abraham looked up. He saw a ram caught by its thorns. Abraham took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham named the place God Yireh. That where, that's where we get the saying, on the mountain of God, he sees to it. He named the place for a description of God that means this is where God saw to it. You know, I just want to ask you moms and dads and those of you who are parents of children and maybe you're playing the role of a parent, maybe you've played that role for all your life. What if we were to parent from the perspective of God will see to it? What if we were to move forward with our children with that, those times that we have fear, those times that we have a lack of understanding, those times that we're worried, those times that we're concerned? What if we were to change that and move through the course of our parenting or our lives, those of you who aren't parents, by simply saying, God will see to it? I think when we do that, we lean into maybe our finite, maybe small understanding that God truly is in control. Uh, Cynthia mentioned the word crossroads um, just a little bit ago. There was um, a time that I personally and that we as a um, couple and as parents were at the crossroads of understanding God's sovereignty, and that was in December of 2004 and the beginning of 2005. Cynthia and I were living in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, in a suburb of Atlanta called Ackworth, and we were living there, and we were both on staff with the church that we were a part of. And it was December 2004 where my good friend Aaron Coe um, started talking to me about a new church that he and his wife wanted to start in New York City, but they needed help. And he was talking to me about the possibility of Cynthia and I and our daughter, Sydney, um, who was not even a year old yet, um, selling everything. Oh, wow. Look at that little girl. And the skinny man behind her. Anyway, a and a lot more wrinkles now too. Selling yeah, a few more wrinkles. You're right. Um, on me, not you. Um, oh, so me. selling everything that we had and moving to New York City. And I remember um, Cynthia and I beginning to pray about this and beginning to ask, "Is this God telling us this, or is this just an impulse that we want to do, or something that someone else wants us to do?" And as time went on, as we prayed more and more about it, we really sensed that this was God telling us to move from our comfortable lives in Ackworth, Georgia, and move to New York City. And i got to be honest with you, when I first um, realized that this was really God calling us, and we worked through that, and that's probably a message for a whole other time, but when I first realized that, I was really hesitant to just do it. I was really hesitant. I, I, I went through the kind of mental gymnastics of, God, we, we have a young child. Why would you ask us to move from the comfort of Ackworth, Georgia, to New York City? I mean, there were probably at the time about 20,000 or 30,000 people living in our town of Ackworth, Georgia. On our block in New York City, there were 30,000 plus. Why would you ask us to move to such a crazy place, such an unfamiliar place? The crime rate in Ackworth was almost nothing. The crime rate in New York City was multiple, multiple times, whatever the small crime rate in Ackworth was. Why, God, would you want us to do this? Why would you want us to move away from the friends that we had established over the past decade and our family who lived so close? Why would you want us to do this? But his call on us was clear. It was absolutely sure. 
it had no ambiguity in it whatsoever. We were met with a lot of um, fear and lack of support from even those closest to us. Um, and rightly so. Um, at the time, it didn't feel that way. But my parents and his parents had waited nine years for a grandkid. And then we decided to pack her up and leave. And so that was very difficult for our family to really understand why. And even though we come from uh, great families that are all of our, our parents are, are Christ followers, it's still difficult when it comes down to your own family making a choice like that. And um, you have to remember at the time, in 2005, we were only four years from the 9-11 tragedy. And so there was still a lot of sense of, like, why would you move to that place, fall the different places? And um, so that was difficult. Um, some of our closest friends, I was leaving behind my best friend. Uh, Todd had kind of grow grown up in Atlanta, so he was leaving. You know, we were leaving every route, which you would have to admit when you have kids, <laughs> that's the time <laughs> you want your babysitters, your parents, and all these things. And af after all these years, you know, when we really didn't need them, we're now leaving those behind. So in some ways, and Todd and I talked about this, I thought we were probably, we'd maybe gotten a little nuts there because because it really didn't make any sense and and some of you like when you calculate a move or think about me there are times you're like this is just crazy this does not you know and being as he said we're both eldest we're very we kind of step through the process when we make choices and there wasn't really a whole lot in this that made any sense other than we felt like God was calling us to do it for me personally and and just in my ministry and what God had called me to do I had spent most of my 20s working my tail off honestly to help build a ministry from the ground up. We were part of North Star when it started back in um, 1997. And um, so, like, for me to walk away from a lot of that was was really difficult because I knew for me I had kind of built the ministry to a point where I was kind of maintaining staff, and it was just a wonderful place to be to begin a family. I had a lot of flexibility, and I knew I would probably be walking away from that kind of life forever. And I'd be walking away from resources, and we had, he had just built me. Oh, it was the best Mother's Day present ever. <laughs> And you did actually it was an finish it. Expensive one. Okay, but it was great. It was my own personal home studio, and um, it was awesome. It was great. It's that was like up there. I uh, mean, I'm just saying that great. was great. The purse was nice today, but that yeah, was this like year up was gonna there. Stink. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, but he did, and he knew that was my dream was to have my own demo studio in our home so that I could do that and, and have the kids. And we did. I got to record some things in there, and I was starting to build a client list of different people uh, to do that. So it was very, there was a lot here. We were walking, this house that we had invested all this money in, and, you know, it was the house we're going to raise our kids in, you know, the, all of these things, and we're just walking away. And so um, we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, honestly, that this is what God had called us to. And for those of you maybe who have had those points in your life where you're like, I can, I can understand what you're saying. The peace of God that Philippians talks about that passes all understanding mm -hmm. We had no understanding, and we did have that yeah, piece jointly absolutely. together that this was the right thing to do. So we packed it all up, our three garage sales, <laughs> three, it took three, uh, to get us down to what we needed in our 900-square-foot apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And so things were going well. We had peace. We get there, and Cindy gets really sick. She got really sick. Um, she was 15 months at the time, yeah. and um, she was diagnosed with a viral and bacterial infection at the exact same time. And um, it's, here I am with a new pediatrician, and those of you that have been first-time moms, you get this, okay? I've already, you know, she's 15 months old. She's still very young. And the doctor, a wonderful doctor, looked right at me in the eye and goes, I don't know what's wrong with your daughter. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're sitting there, and, and Cindy's just crying, and she can't eat. Uh, she dropped about 18 pounds. 
Um, and she's already a little thing for those of you that know. And um, I just remember laying in the bed at night, this was in December, and um, just crying and just being so angry. There she is. Yeah, and you can't, this is at, at the back end of it. This is after she got so much better, but she had, she couldn't eat. She couldn't, it was just a, a really tough December. And I remember being so angry with God because I said, listen, I did all that. I sold all that. I'm here. This is crazy. But why is she sick? Why are you doing this to me? We just got here. My mom can't come up here. We just moved in. You know, why is this happening to me? And um, it, it was just a root of bitterness kind of got planted real deep, real fast of like, you know, this, you're asking a little more than, than I can handle. And for those of you that have become parents, before you had kids, you have one life, and then you have the once you're a parent. I had never, Todd and I kind of were like, yeah, if things happen to us, it's fine. I had never had this whole thing, but, man, you mess with my kids. That's <laughs> another thing, okay? And I had never experienced that emotion of just that, you know, I can handle something, but don't mess with my kids. And I felt so out of control. And um, so during that time, I, I know that the, some things were starting to not happen with me and God, and I was really wanting control, and I was not accepting his will, his way. Well, then, here we go. It's 2007, and we're moving to Hilton Head. Yes, I'm pregnant. I'm down here four weeks before I deliver interviewing. Two weeks after Sean is born, we're looking at houses, and six weeks after he's born, we move in. Look at the <laughs> chunk, man. Yeah. Look at Oh, I love it. So, so we moved down here, and Sean doesn't get sick, but I do. And I was very ill for about six months, and then I went into some depression. And um, I remember during that summer, I was, that was a tough time, that I just remember being so angry with God. And we had just come to plant the Hilton Head campus. And uh, just going, you're asking too much, okay? I, you know, I've, I've done enough. I've done everything you've asked me to do, but you're just asking too much. You're asking now we waited so long to have kids, and now I have kids, and now you're asking this of me, you know, and I just remember being angry and just being so frustrated, but I can say now, six years removed, um, that through that journey, I realized that God knew, well, he knows Cynthia well enough to know. The only way to teach her a lesson sometimes is just to get it right out of the gate, and I have to tell you, for me, looking back now, I see those, those times as the reason that God allowed a lot of that in my life is because I needed to learn really quick that I'm not in control of my kids, that he is. And that's something I needed because I, I wanted to make this all work out exactly the way it, I thought it should work out. But God was teaching me, like, I got it, Cynthia. I got it. It's, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You know, and learning that, that I am his and that my kids are his, and those kids aren't mine. Those are his kids. Mm. And I've just been given the, the opportunity and the ability to steward the time that I have with them to raise them as God would have me raise, raise them. Um, I love how Abraham is discussed in uh, Hebrews 11. This chapter is um, sometimes called the faith chapter or the hall of faith. And um, the writer of Hebrews says this about Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, at the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. Acting in faith, he was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this after he'd already been told, your descendants shall come from Isaac. Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. And in a sense, that's what happened when he received Isaac back alive off the altar. I've asked some different women in our church um, who have had different life experiences to share with us how they've learned to trust God and his sovereignty as mothers. I know I'm not the only mother with a story 
of how God has really done some things in their life and to help them. And so I have different uh, women I want to share with you. First is Debbie Court. You know, Debbie and Daniel who lead worship. Oh, I just love that picture. And they're here. Yes, there you are in the back row. Is it, It's been a year. Your, her gotcha date was last week. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, they've had Liliana for the last year. Um, and my daughter has a very special attachment to that child, big time. So this is what Debbie wanted me to share with you about what she's learned about God's sovereignty. The adoption process is not an easy one. It's filled with angst caused by so many unknowns. Looking back over the four-year journey that led us to Liliana, God's sovereignty is so evident. There were many stumbling blocks along the way that should have prevented us from receiving this precious gift. But God's mercy and love continue to rain down on us. And it's clear today that she was created just for us. Nothing happens by coincidence. It is all under his direction. And I can clearly see his work in our lives. And my faith has been strengthened tenfold. Debbie says that she always wants to honor God with all the blessings he's given and continues to give and provides for their family. From Amy Cunningham, this is Amy's three daughters. Maddie there is the oldest, Isabel and Cora, very special friends of the Cullen family. Uh, Matt is an elder, Amy's his wife, and Amy's very involved with Island Kids. So if you have kids in Island Kids, I'm sure they've had Miss Amy at some time. And this is what Amy wanted me to share with you this morning. God has taught me so many things about myself in this journey called motherhood. He's taught me patience, humility, selflessness, and being purposeful in what I do. But most of all, when I think about God's sovereignty in my journey of motherhood, I feel like he's taught me to rely on him that he's in control, and that my children are not, in fact, mine, but his. We had many medical experiences with Maddie. She's the eldest there. Um, Early on, when I worried about the outcome, in my mind, I believed that when I worried, I was in control of it. Great line. For some reason, I didn't trust that God could take care of it. God taught me, however, that no matter the outcome, he was in control. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 um, became a foundation in my life. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amy continues that, she says, God taught me that my children are an amazing gift, that we get to love and raise on our own, but they belong to him. I lift them in prayer often, and I'm so blessed to be the mother of Maddie, Isabel, and Cora, And I make a point to thank him daily for the amazing gift that they are to me. And finally, uh, from Shirley Newton. Joe and Shirley lead our life group ministry here. Uh, Joe's an elder on our staff, on our team here. And uh, this is what Shirley had to say about about her boys and uh, her life here, about God's sovereignty. Shirley says, I saw God's hand in Brad. He's the eldest there. uh, In his healing from a chronic disease that he was diagnosed in a hospital at age 16. Joe prayed over him, and he walked out the next day. Wow. I've seen God's sovereignty as he kept the boys and me safe as Joe traveled extensively. We prayed from their early childhood that our sons would grow up to be men God would be proud of. They are Christians, married to Christian wives, and are good husbands and dads. One became a Christian through a student pastor, one through life events and his wife and a mission trip to Romania. And we're not sure how the third one became a Christian, but he is an answer to prayer. That is an answer to prayer because he is. Shirley says this about herself. She said, I thought I was a Christian for many years. Um, It didn't go from my head, what I knew about being a Christian, to my heart until December of 1988. 
I didn't know what I'd been missing, and I had a peace in, in being God-reliant that I'd never had on my own. And then she says this very interesting statement. She said, I wondered what I would have been like as a mom if it had happened sooner. You know, and for me, I know that as I've heard these ladies' testimonies, and they wrote these themselves and sent them to me, and, and I read them as they wrote them. Um, I think there's a theme here is the issue of giving up control and realizing that God is in control, and that's our job as moms. Would you thank me, thank them this morning for sharing their testimonies with us and being honest? I appreciated their authenticity and, and being willing to share that um, with us. Today, when you came in, you received your worship guide, but you also received a little card that we made for you. And on one side of this card is a prayer that Todd and I have been praying over our kids for about the last six years. Um, we pray individually with our kids in their beds, and um, we take this prayer, and we, um, we put our hands on their heads as we pray this over them. And it just simply says, Lord, bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. And that's just an abbreviated uh, prayer from this passage, number 6, uh, 24 through 26. Um, and this is something that we started doing, I guess, about six, year, six years ago. We moved to Hilton Head. And I got to tell you, for me, sometimes the craziness of the day, I am so thankful for this <laughs> at the end of the day because I do feel such a sense of peace when I pray this over my kids, that as they sleep, that I'm just handing them right back to God. And I need a daily reminder <laughs> that they are his and not mine. And so when I pray this over them, it's kind of interesting now that we've done it for so long, the kids' response to us now. Um, Sydney's not, she's not really a hugger, toucher, touchy-feely kind of, you know, person. That's just not who she is. And it's so funny because when I pray this, or Todd notices this, when we pray this over her, she actually reaches out for us and pulls us closer. Um, for Sean, <laughs> when I pray this over Sean, he just nods his head with his eyes closed. <laughs> I, I don't know why. That's what he does. So it's just, it's so cute. But this has become probably my favorite moment of the day honestly, and I miss it when we were too late or too tired and we're just like, get in bed. Um, <laughs> I miss it when I don't get to do this with them. And so this is something that we are so thankful that we do, and I hope that my kids one day will maybe do it with theirs. I want to encourage you on that, parents, whether you're parents of, you know, an almost nine-year-old or six-year-old or an infant, um, or if you're parents of a child who's getting ready to go to college, um, they might think this is funny and silly, but it's really not. And I want to encourage you to do this with your children. This isn't magical. It's divine. It's from the hand of God. And so I want to encourage you on that. On the other side of this card is the passage that I mentioned earlier that uh, Solomon wrote, Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And I want to make this personal this morning, especially for you moms. The heart of a mom plans her ways, but the Lord establishes her steps. Moms, we know that you are concerned about your family. We know you're concerned about your children. We know you probably have fear and anxiety about them. But God plans your steps, and he plans theirs. I want to make it personal also. We talked about the fact that God's sovereignty means that he has the absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. And it's especially true when it comes to our children. So I want to personalize the three points that we started with at the beginning. First of all, God has the absolute right to do what he thinks is best with our children. We, as Cynthia said, we sometimes think that we know what's best. But you know what? When it's out of control, and when they're out of control, and when life is out of control, 
He knows what's best. Secondly, God will do whatever he needs to do to fulfill his plan for our children. Moms and dads, when they're wayward, when they're far from you and far from God, pray that blessing. Pray that prayer and believe that he'll do whatever he needs to to fulfill his plan for those kids. And thirdly, God will do whatever he needs to to keep his promises for our children. But trusting God requires just something from us. And here's what I believe it requires. We can take all of this in and believe that God can do all these things. That's the easy part. Knowing it up here. We can know that God is sovereign. The question for you today is will you trust in him? There's a huge gap between can and will. So I want to encourage you today, if you're a Christ follower here, and you're having a difficult time between can and will, know that God is in control, know he's in charge, and make the decision that you're going to trust him today. Sydney came up to us recently and she said, hey, mom and dad, can I play trust? We're kind of like, what's trust? We find out it's a game that she plays with her friends at school. And here's how the game goes. You probably know the game. One person folds their arms, they stand up straight, and the other child stands behind them. And all of a sudden, the one who's standing with their arms folded, they close their eyes, and they fall backwards, hopefully into the arms of the other child. She asked us if we could play trust the other day. Now, I've asked Cynthia if she would play trust with me here on stage. So I think we have a trust issue, which we'll be in counseling about next week. No, I'm just kidding. When we face circumstances in our lives that make no sense at all, that's when we have the opportunity to fold our arms, close our eyes, and just fall back in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. Moms, dads, parents, or those of you who are in the role of a parent, we have an opportunity to do that a lot, don't we? But there are some of you, the application is for parents, but there are some of you today that needed to hear that God's in control. You may be single, you may be far from God, you may be in the golden year stage of your life and wondering what's next. You're not in charge, but God is. Today, what I want us to do is I want us to take this opportunity, and I want to lead us through a prayer here as we close. And this is for all of us, whether you're parents, whether you're a mom or a dad, or whether you're just going through a difficult time in your life trusting that God is in control. And so what I want to do here as we close is pray a prayer of dedication that I've written for all of us. And so if you're in here today and you're comfortable with this and you can do this, you have the ability to do this, I'm going to ask you right now just to kneel wherever you are. Maybe your children are with you and maybe you want to uh, put your hand on your child um, as we pray this prayer. So if you can, I'm going to ask you to kneel. I'm going to kneel here on stage and I'm going to pray this prayer of dedication that will help us and will ask God to help us to trust him for the future. So let's go to God and let's pray this prayer of dedication.